0: at the Word of God. we we'll turn to Acts chapter 24 and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 21. Acts 24 verse 1 to 21. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths once again to us that we may learn your ways and we may allow your Spirit to teach us and to mould us in your way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 24 verse 1 to 21 Five days later the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea and some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus and they brought the charges against Paul before the governor When Paul was called in Tertullus presented his case before Felix We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth but all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defence. You can easily verify that no more than twelve days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia. Who ought to have been here to be here before you and bring the charges if they have anything against me? All these who are here should state what crime they found in me before I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was the one I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead, and that I am on trial before you today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the biggest challenges or temptations we have in life whether at work at home or any situation is the temptation to have things our way all the time regardless of whether what we do is right or wrong it's a short term it's a short term victory but we see ourselves often tempted to get something that we want get it our way win an argument regardless of whether our arguments whether our case whether our point Is good or bad? But over the years, i found that while this may give short-term satisfaction, I please my boss, I get the things that I've applied for, I win an argument in the family, or something else, that these things are not that satisfying after a while. At the end of the day, as we look back at our lives, what really satisfies is that we did the right thing. In verse 16, Paul says, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. The short-term gains may be exciting at the moment, but as we look back and even as we read this passage and we see in perspective, that all the gains that the Jews made, all the gains that this lawyer, this great orator, Tertullus, made are in vain if our lives are not lived well with a clear conscience. What this passage tells us then is how Paul lived a life of good conscience in the midst of conflict, in the midst of competing demands. And how the Jews, on the other hand, lived theirs. And so we look at the first point. No, this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the Gospel. One of the characteristics of Christian living then is that God transforms us to be holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This doesn't mean that we be completely lame, completely pure and spotless. All of us know that we are sinful. But what the Holy Spirit does to us is that day by day He cleanses us, making us holy in His sight. Basically, that we are cleaner and cleaner and that we belong to Him without blemish and free from accusation. That's the kind of life that God calls us to live. And that's the life that is far more satisfying than winning an argument or getting short-term results. What's the first thing then that we must avoid? Flattery. We see in this case the flattery that Tertullus gave to Felix. And as we look at the context, we could even laugh at the stupidity, how ingratiating the Jews and Tertullus was. Just to win a fight, eventually they did. They managed, after many years, to get Paul executed. But what did they sell of themselves? They sold their souls. What this is what Tertullus did. Now Tertullus, it says, it says in the um, NIV New International Version, is a lawyer. But in the King James Version, he's called an orator. He was probably someone, someone very great at arguing. In our day, he could be the Queen's Counsel or the Senior Counsel, someone who is an expert in making arguments. Tertulus was clearly not a Jew. He may have been um, a Gentile, a Jewish convert, a, a convert from, um, Greek, from the Greek. Um, he could have been a Greek Jew, or more likely, he was just a Gentile. But he was an expert, and quite likely, then the Jews paid him. To, be, to represent them and to be their lawyer. This is what he said of Felix in verse 2. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. Reading this, we would think Felix was one of the best governors, nation, Rome Rome ever had for the nation of Israel. That there was a long period of peace, that his foresight had brought reforms in this country, in this nation. And they are filled with profound gratitude. The reality of Felix was that first of all, when Felix first became the governor, he executed the high priest, um, Jonathan. Jonathan had seen how abusive, how corrupt, how evil Felix was, and threatened to report Felix to Caesar. In a bid to save himself, Felix had uh, Jonathan, the high priest, assassinated. History says that Felix's cruelty and accessibility to bribes led to increase of crime marked by internal feuds and disturbances. Felix was a lousy governor. We see even in the next few verses uh, that we'll talk about tomorrow that he was very open to bribes. In fact, he was waiting for Paul to bribe him. Felix was corrupt. But when Felix, Felix's um, abuse and cruelty led to feuds and disturbances, what Felix did then was to put down, put down all these feuds severely, with great severity. It was as though he leveled Jerusalem into a desert and called that peace. There was peace indeed because of Felix's cruelty, Felix's severity in punishing all uprisings. So while Tertullus told Felix what a great man he was, how grateful they were, the reality was that the Jews hated him, that he was a bad ruler. But that does a lot of harm to the Jewish cause as well. The Jews knew that he was a bad king, he was a bad governor. And yet they told him what a great man he was. Flattery never does any good to anyone. It does help us advance. Sometimes we talk about polishing the boss and making him happy and pleasing the boss and just flattering the boss. And in a short, in a short run, it seems like a great idea. But in the long term, as we look back in perspective, we realize that we sell our souls. When we do that. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, five says, You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Flattery is not the way to go. But neither is open rebellion, open opposition. The opposite of flattery, one would think, is to openly uh, resist your bosses, openly fight with others. Yet it isn't either. The next point is this, that we are called to live peaceably. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, Paul says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you. Sometimes we teach that Christians should stand up for their faith. And that is true. But it doesn't mean that Christians should be offensive. It doesn't mean that we should be obnoxious. If we were ever to be persecuted, it better be because we love God and we love people. Not because we stood up and fought the establishment, defied the establishment. That's not the way God calls us to. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. In this story that we've just read, Paul defended himself. In verse 12, he says, In verse 11, he says, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. They cannot prove to you the charges they're now making. In fact, in verse 17, he says, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. Paul was not in Jerusalem to cause trouble. He observed all. He showed great respect for the people there, for the religion of the Jews. In fact, if you recall, earlier on he had gone to Jerusalem and he had paid for four people to be cleansed ritually, The expenses were not cheap. They had to sacrifice a bull, a cow, a goat. It was an expensive thing. And Paul paid for all of these processes. Why? Because he wanted to show that he was a Jew. He wanted to show that he respected the Jewish religion. He did not openly fight them. He showed himself that he actually was one of them. You see, when we... Opposed when we are against, when we feel that something is wrong. We still need to show respect, not to stand up and openly fight or defy. In fact, what Paul did was even more, he took gifts to Jerusalem to worship. He he brought gifts for the poor. Remember, earlier on, too, we were told that there was a famine in Jerusalem. And the reason Paul went to Jerusalem was partly to bring the gifts from the other nations from the other churches to Jerusalem to help the poor. Despite knowing that the Jews would persecute him, that the Jews would kill him eventually, he loved each of them. And this is something that we need to carry with ourselves. First, utmost respect for those whose ideas are different from ours. Utmost respect even for the authorities. And love for them. One of the persons that we best learn from is Prophet Daniel. Daniel was found to be a man without reproach. He was a foreigner, not supposed to be respected. And yet he earned the respect of king after king. In fact, King Darius, the one who had to send him to the lions, then loved him so much because he showed himself to be such a steadfast, such a good leader. But Darius wanted to reward him and place him in the highest position. And even when his rivals betrayed him, Darius felt very sad that he had to bring and place Daniel in the lion's den. The first moment he could, he rushed to see that Daniel was safe. Daniel stands as a model of what we as Christians should be. That we stand with the authority, we try to understand their position, we support them where we can. I remember when I was serving in prison, very often we had different purposes. For one, we were interested in rehabilitation. We were interested in the welfare of the prisoners, which is not to say that the prison authorities were not, but that the main thing in their minds was security. How do you treat prisoners well without compromising security? And therefore, often we were at odds because the the prison officers would say, but we want this because this ensures discipline and security. And we would say, but that is too harsh. We want something softer. We want something kinder. What we did then was to learn, hear from the other side, hear what their concerns were, show great respect for what their concerns were. And then we would find a way to meet their concerns with our concerns. I remember when, as a young lawyer, I often felt that my boss was overcharging, was charging unnecessarily. And I often got very agitated when I saw him do these things. I wanted to tell him to his face, hey, you're a real dishonest guy. But someone told me, pause and see. What are your billings compared to your salary? Do your billings even match your salary? If they don't, then it's best you keep your mouth shut. Because if you tell him to be honest, when you are guaranteed a salary and he has to pay your salary, with whether his profits are high, whether his profits are low, whether he's making losses, then you are not paying the price for your demanding that he be honest. If you want him, your boss, to be honest, are you prepared to pay that price? If you think that he's over, overcharging the clients and you are drawing that high salary that um, he can barely pay, Are you willing then to pay the client instead? Are you willing to stand in his shoes and understand how they struggle before you judge your bosses? I felt that that was really an eye-opener for me because it forced me then to, rather than oppose those in authority, to oppose my bosses, to oppose those I disagreed with, to first of all respect them, to listen to the hardships, to empathise with them, to put myself in their shoes, and then, later, to make a stand, if it's necessary. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Work with them as far as possible, until it is not possible. And so the third point is this, limit your offence to the point of offence. Meaning that the cross is the offence. Make it sure it is the cross that is the offence. Find all the common ground you can find. What does this mean? It means that you do not sweep all the others into an opposition. You do not, you do not offend for everything. You only find a point that you finally cannot compromise. And it is only then that you make a stand. Paul, in this story, in this case, said to said to um, Felix in verse 14, "I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law, and that is written in the prophets. Basically, he's finding common ground. He's saying to Felix." Look, I agree fully with the Jews. These are our common ground, that we, I live according to the law and all that is written in the prophets. We have the same common ground. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. And that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Here Paul in everything was trying to find a common ground with the Jews. It was only the point of Jesus Christ and the receiving of the Gentiles, that they disagreed. But Paul did not try to make trouble for every other issue, only that one issue. And we need to understand this and learn this point very clearly. Because often we condemn all the other religions. Sometimes we say, oh, Muslims, Islam is of the devil, Hinduism of the devil. Is that really the way that Paul did it? When Paul was in Athens, he was troubled in his spirit when he saw a lot of idol worshippers. But did he see it because he saw oppression of the spirits? Or was it because he saw that the people did not know God and his love for them? Because when Paul then spoke to the Athenians, he said to them, I see that you are religious people. I see that you worship a God. Now let me tell you what that God is like let me tell you about this God. He did not condemn them. He did not tell them that all your worship was demonic. Instead, he said, yes, we both worship God. Correct. Now, let me reveal a little bit more about their God. Because the truth is that all people in the world are God's creation. God loves every person. He doesn't want to offend people when there is no need to offend. If he sees someone of another religion, who is trying their hardest to live according to God's ways, who are seeking to know God, why would God then throw them out and say, what you're believing in is of the devil? He would not do that. Rather, he would say, let us find common ground. Come and know me, because I do want you to know me. And that should be the attitude that we have. Whether it has to do with religion, whether it has to do even with our children, the way... Uh, we listen to them. You know, I I want to ask this question. How many of you share perhaps the same music interests as your children? Have you ever used their earphones and listened to what they listen without saying, my goodness, this is demonic music? How many of us have ever played computer games with our children? Not just find out, well, this style of game also you want to play. But rather to play with them as partners. I saw this father who played computer games with his children, they're so close. And the children are godly. But that is sharing the interests, sharing what they love. And sometimes sharing these interests may be rather scary as you listen to the music that our kids... uh, My daughter's favourite used to be My Chemical Romance, and it was, well, rock, crazy. But as we listened, I realised how much it spoke about the realities of life, if there was common ground. I discovered that we shared a lot in common and we could work from there to talk about what is good what is godly. Beyond just trying to understand and find common ground, perhaps we could even find ways in which we can respect and admire those whom we disagree with even strongly. If we could begin to admire others whose views, whose gods are different, whose practices we may deem sinful, if we could admire their traits, that is even one step nearer to being able to reach out. While working in prison, one of my most frequent visits was to the HIV ward. And I went there to do Bible study every week. What I found about them was that they were the most compassionate, most loving, most caring group of people I met. Whenever a new inmate went in, they would would minister to that inmate. They would care for him, make sure that his needs were met. If If this person was having difficulties in any way, these other inmates would reach out to them to see what they could do to help. I found that, found myself looking forward to visiting them every week because they brought a lot of joy. But we learn to admire rather than to fight and to condemn and to write off everything. If we could begin to adopt that attitude, whether it is to the people we disagree with, to our authorities, whether it is even to our children, it allows us then to spread got to speak of God. There was one missionary, I forget his name, who who was uh, trying to reach out to Muslims. And he preached and he preached and everyone in the village resisted him or avoided him. So one day in despondency, he sat down and prayed and asked God, God, what do you want me to do? How do I reach these people? And God said, go and learn their faith and their religion. So he Went home and he opened his house and invited the people, the imams, and the religious leaders come and teach me about your religion. And as he learned their religion, they asked him to tell us about your faith. And that was when he was able to share his faith, the love of God, the truth of God, with them. It was through that that the village came to know Jesus, not because. I'll highlighted the differences, but because he showed them that they had the same aspirations, and he was interested in what they wanted, what they needed, and then he could show them Christ as the revelation of God. How do we carry ourselves? Short term, we may lose. You know, in fact, Paul, at the end of the day, despite all his living quietly, living respectfully, living lovingly, he got executed, he lost the case. And that may well happen in our lives as well. It doesn't guarantee success all the time. But if this becomes a principle of our lives, rather than whether we win our case, whether we get our way or not, but rather how we live our lives as people transformed by God, We look long-term. Then we hold steadfastly to what God teaches us and what the Spirit can lead us to do. To avoid flattery, to live quiet lives, respectful lives, and to understand life, the points from the other side. And then to find common ground that we may help each other know our God who loves all. Let us pray. Father, you have called us to be salt and light in this world. Help us, Lord, that we may live our lives without blemish, holy before you, and free from accusation from others. That indeed we may help others to know that you are God who loves them and that you are their God as well. Take away our abrasiveness. Help us, Lord, to only make offensive what has to be offensive. That's only when we stand by your truth and if that is offensive, then to be prepared to pay that price but to make nothing else offensive to others that we may reach them in love. We ask then, Lord, that you will teach us how to care for those we disagree with, how to care for those whose religions and faiths are different from ours, how to learn from them and to respect them, and then, Lord, to reveal to them You, who is their God as well, who loves them, wants to be their Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.